So I'd like to just begin by paying homage to the Buddha, who's my teacher. Namo tassa bhagavato arahato sama sambuddhassa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato sama sambuddhassa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato sama sambuddhassa Buddhang dhammang sankhang namasami We gave the title of this talk. Can everybody hear me okay? Yeah? Thank you. Uh, The title of this this day-long, Meeting What Is. So meeting what is, not always liking what is, or even being interested in what is, (laughs) but meeting what is. And uh, I said the tutor mentioned earlier that uh, when we're being present with the breath, it can be very boring. And I remember when I first started to meditate in my early 20s, going to visit a monastery and, and you know, we had a chance to speak with one of the monks about practice and, and saying, but it's so boring. <laughs> how can you know, how can you have been doing it all these years? And he pointed out, well, you know, at first it's boring because we're used to stimulation, excitement, uh, we, our mind is used to having interesting objects to get involved in and, and get hold of and get its teeth into. And, and the breath isn't like that, it's subtle. But as you settle and, and the mind quietens, then the breath becomes anything but boring. It, it opens up whole new vistas that we've never seen or maybe even dreamt of before. So fortunately, I, I listened to that monk, and he didn't go into so much detail, but he just said, you know, it's subtle, and we need to attune our minds to the subtlety of the breath, and then it, uh, it in itself becomes a teacher, a teacher of the Dharma, of the truth, of the way things are. So um, over the years, I've certainly experienced many different teachings through observing the breath. So there can be the practice of focusing on the breath, like more of a samatha practice or a concentration practice, where a mind changes its um, orientation. So the grosser sense objects, you know, excitement, stimulation, uh, in whatever ways those manifest, in many ways, they become less interesting. As, as the mind settles and, and focuses on the breath. And then we wonder why were we so fascinated by those things that seem so gross now. And then the more subtle, um, or the mind becomes more subtle and appreciates very subtle experiences. It's still a sense experience, but it starts to appreciate just the, the, the pleasant feeling of the breath, the gentleness the harmlessness, and there's what is what's sometimes referred to as the beautiful breath. And it's not that the breath is any different, but the mind has changed. The way the mind is meeting the experience has changed. And so then, uh, you know, as the mind gets concentrated, then there's this, there's this really quite blissful experience of, of breathing, simply of breathing, nothing other than breathing. And... Uh, 
You know, if you think about all of the complex ways we try to find bliss <laughs> in the world. So my name, the name I was given is, is Ananda Bodhi, means bliss of Bodhi or bliss of enlightenment. And I often think that my teacher gave me that name because I like to look for bliss in many different places before. <laughs> and he's pointing like the bliss of enlightenment, that's where you want to look. Because you can, you know, we can experience bliss in, in many ways in the world for a little while. And I'm sure everybody here has from time to time, moment to moment. But then there's all the rest of it that goes with it. I won't go into details, I'm sure you all can fill in your own story there. So we can experience bliss and then, we, and then maybe there's an addiction to that bliss or, there, or it's got, it comes at a great cost or it just lasts for a little moment and we spend the, the next 15 years trying to get it back. So this is the, the bliss of simply being here, fully here now with this immediate changing experience. It's a, it's a, it's a bliss that doesn't cost anything other than our time and attention. And it doesn't pollute, it doesn't <laughs> exploit, it doesn't demand. It is just about being here with this direct experience. So the breath can take us, or attention, awareness on the breath can, can bring us to that place of, of pure, you could call it pure bliss, because it's not a... It's not a bliss that's harming anyone else or anything else, as many of our blisses do. So, uh, so that's one aspect of, of bringing attention to the breath. Least the mind settles, refines, it's no longer going out craving, looking for this and that, looking for some kind of fix, some kind of hit, some kind of temporary experience of gratification which of course we all do, even, even monks and nuns do that, our minds do that too. So it's learning to, recognizing like, okay, when my mind goes out and looks for something out there, it might get some gratification. <coughs> and then that changes, and then we're left back where we were before. Or maybe not even back where we were before, but where we were before with a bit more craving, because we've tasted that nice, gratification and we want it again and then we get into this cycle of, of, of craving and desire and following desire and I think this is uh, really the conundrum that we are in as a, as, a, as a human race actually particularly the western world but as a human race we're, we're stuck in that cycle of, of wanting, reaching out, grasping, getting discarding what isn't anymore, giving us gratification, and then going to the next thing. And this is how we've got into the mess we are in as a human race on the planet. Because we, we, uh, it's, it's, we've, we've developed a culture of, of, of grasping, taking, using, discarding. Grasping, taking, using, discarding. That's what's going on, on all, again and again, even with sometimes quite innocent intention. But that's the, the culture encourages that. It's a culture that says, you can have whatever you like. Just, you know, step in here. Here it is all for you. And when you've finished, you just throw it away. You know, somebody else will clean it up. But the, as time goes by, we start to realize on this little planet Earth, who is that someone else? Where is that other place? 
it all ends up on our doorstep, it's all here, it's all us, it's all here. Those other people are our neighbours, you know, that doorstep is now my doorstep that I step out on in the morning. So, you know, the world has got much smaller, as they say, in the last few years, where we can't pretend anymore that the, the oceans are limitless and we'll, we can put all our trash there and it'll all just be absorbed into the great ocean. The ocean is now smaller than we thought. Or maybe we are more than the ocean can quite manage. And likewise with the land and with, the, with our needs, you know, as in terms of the energy that we use up to try to get those experiences of gratification and comfort. We use up more than we can, more than this earth can sustain on a daily basis. So, we're introducing you to this very simple and ancient and immediate practice of finding gratification right here, right now, at no cost other than to your own time and attention. The gratification of being present, the peace and simplicity of being present with the breath. So this is one, one way the breath can lead us to a, a more wholesome way of being. If we put our intention, if we take the time and the trouble to get past the boredom and get to that place of, of attunement to the subtlety of the breath. And another aspect of the breath is the, um, the teaching that it, that it offers in the you know, so once the mind starts to collect and be more, you know, they're not so distracted, going here, going there, and there's actually a little bit of presence with the breath. There's a little bit more. The mind has collected around the breath. It's no longer this sort of really hard work trying to breathe, breathing in, breathing out, but the mind has settled somewhat, and the breath is happening. There's awareness of that, and there's awareness maybe of the body and of the environment but the mind isn't pulled out into that, it's just knowing it, it's just here with the experience. Then we start to see the nature of the breath. So, just like all things, the breath has the nature to arise, it has a beginning moment. Well, there's obviously there's the first breath when we, after we come out of our mother's womb, that's like the, the first beginning breath, but then in any breath has a beginning the beginning of the in-breath. It, it comes to its fullness as we let it fill our lungs. And then there's a point of, you could say, you know, like the maximum, the, the, the completion, the fullness. And then there's that natural out-breath, releasing, letting go. And then there's a moment of nothing. If you, if you observe it, if you observe the breath, there's a moment where there's just nothing happening. And in that moment, if you can be present in that moment, actually we don't know if there's going to be another breath or not. There's a moment of nothing happening. And then so far, for all of us, there's been an in-breath again. And, and that cycle of beginning, increase, fullness, complete, and then decrease, lessening, stopping, ending. So that is, the, that is the cycle of all things in nature. Everything has that same process. Every human being that's born goes through a period of growth 
and maybe we stop at different times, you know, some may stop very early, some very old, but we go through a period of growth, increase, nourishment, and then of decline, and of ending and of death. That's how it goes. And the, the planet Earth has the same cycle, and this universe, most likely, we don't know actually, but most likely has the same cycle. Galaxies have the same cycle, they have a beginning, they manifest, they become into their maximum manifestation and then they start to break up and fall apart because that is the nature of things, that is the Dharma, that is the truth of the way things are. So the breath, when we pay attention to it, when we're with it, teaches us that every single breath has that same process, that same quality. So if we look in the right way, every breath is like a teaching of change. Everything's changing all the time. And then if we look at the breath in terms of, um, you know, my breath, I don't know, we, in, in my family we had this funny thing where we'd say, don't breathe on me. People say, there was four kids in a small space, stop breathing all over me. <laughs> and then, uh, so there's a sense of this is, this is somebody's breath and my breath, your breath, you know. And there's this perception of the breath belonging to somebody. But then if you really look at the breath, it's, you know, it's changing all the time. It comes in, it's moving. It enters our body, the oxygen comes into the lungs, into the bloodstream. So that becomes part of us. Each in-breath becomes part of us. And then there's the out-breath, we let go of the carbon dioxide that is in this body that is extra, no, no longer needed. And that is released back into the atmosphere. And that, that carbon dioxide is breathed in by the trees and by the plants as nourishment. And they take that in and it nourishes them and then they let go oxygen, which is no longer needed for them, which we breathe in. And on that, that cycle, this beautiful balance goes on between us and the foliage. And so, you know, what we think of as my breath, what, what, at what point is it really me and mine? You could say, well, once the breath has gone past my lips or my nostrils, then it's mine. Or you might breathe out, you think, well, it's sort of, when it's sort of out here somewhere, then it's still my breath, but then, you know, then it sort of dissipates. So we call it my breath, it's, you know, without the breath we don't live more than a few minutes. It's, it's vital, literally vital. But it, when we really look, is it really mine? Is it me? What is me? What is this me that, that I define as a separate something? And then we see that the breath is constantly changing. It's constantly inter-being with every other breathing being or, I don't know if you want to call a tree a being, but every other living, breathing creature or being on this planet. So through this breath, as we sat here together in the hall, we've all shared the breath. And as I said, the Chita was saying, the breath could have also been breathed by dinosaurs or by you know, Alexander the Great or all kinds of people may have breathed the same breath that we are breathing. So we are, at every moment, inter-being or interconnected with all sentient beings, with all living beings, present and past. 
And that's the, the truth of the way, that's the Dharma, that's the truth of the way things are. And we think ourselves into separation. And there's a, there's a, there's a kind of an idea that we're safe if we're separate. If we're separate, independent, then we're safe. I'm looking after me, everything's good, you know, I make sure I'm okay, then we're safe. But what is this, where is the safety in that? Because we don't live, you know, maybe live, if we're lucky, maybe live 90 years, maybe less, maybe just a few years. We never know when our time's going to come. So however independent we might create, make ourselves or believe ourselves to be, it isn't a refuge, it isn't a place of safety. So the Buddha is pointing to the refuge of knowing the truth of the way things are. And the truth being that everything is changing. Everything is in a state of flux all the time. All the time. And when we hold on to that sense of me and mine, that's where the suffering arises. That's where it starts to get complicated. And when we recognize our interdependence with all beings, it opens us up in a way that, you know, we can't anymore just do that same old thing of getting for myself, using, discarding. We can't keep doing that in the same way because we know that we're not you know, it's not just about me and my little comfort zone. It's about being part of this balance, part of this ecosystem, biosphere. And uh, you know, the Buddha is very clear that following greed, following hatred, following delusion, they lead that leads to our own suffering and to the suffering of others. I think on a on a large scale. We have been doing that for a long time. We've been following, you know, not, not even consciously, you know, this, for a long time we didn't actually know the results of these actions, but following the sense of I have a right. I have a right to be comfortable. I have a right to have what I want, when I want. I have a right to eat whatever I feel like. But then if we, if we look on a bigger scale, you know, what are the effects, what are the consequences, what is the true cost of the coffee that one is drinking, or what is the true cost of the, the chocolate, or what is the true cost of the, the air conditioning, you know, just like looking, what is the true cost of all these things? It's much more than we actually pay attention to. So, you know, we have situations where some people live in very privileged situations, and that becomes the norm, it's normal. And for that to happen, there are others who live in very basic situations, who have to work for very little money, or even, even in slavery. There's a, a huge slave trade at this time in the world. So others work for, for very little so that we can have what we want, when we want. So is that a way we want to live? You know, when we start to recognize our interdependence, it doesn't add up, doesn't, it doesn't sit right anymore. But as long as we're not acknowledging it, you know, as long as we're like me, my little world, my friends, my family, that's it. Then we don't see, we don't see the, the results of our actions.
So the breath can teach us that if we pay attention. And, uh, and then, of course, there's the, as I said, pointed to earlier on, there's the question or the situation of what are we doing to the air we breathe? What are we doing to the water that we drink, to the food that we eat? So, uh, you know, now it's like organic food. It's really cool, organic, you know, it's great. And um, it is great. It's very important. But this, at one time, that was just called food. <laughs> you know, now it's like this really special thing because we've gone so far away from what is normal that now what is normal is special. So, uh, you know, in our deviation from what is normal, we've inadvertently, I think, through, through not knowing, through ignorance to largely, we have poisoned our, our earth, we've poisoned the earth, we've poisoned the water, we've poisoned the air. It's not just in the past, it's present, we're doing it daily. In an idea to do things better, to be, you know, this idea that human beings are somehow superior to nature, somehow better than, above nature and can control and have things the way we like. And we are very good at controlling and we are very brilliant in, in terms of technology. And yet nature, you know, we are part of nature. As we breathe, the body breathes. We don't have to sit and work out how to do it. Okay, how am I going to breathe? How am I going to get the oxygen to go into the bloodstream? Oh God, let me work it out. You know, we don't have to do that. We just breathe the body. It's nature breathing. As we eat, it's nature digesting the food. This is nature. We are nature at work. And then our, our intellects think... I'm above nature, I'm cleverer than nature, I'm better than nature, I'm going to get one over nature and I'm going to get everything the way I want. And that's kind of how we've created society. And now we're meeting the consequences of that, which is, oh, we are nature. And, and the food that we're eating is now, and a lot of it is um, poisoned through fertilizers and um, pesticides and so on. And the water we drink, you know, fracking now is a very big thing. Thankfully, people are talking about it. In, in America, there's quite a lot of awareness around the dangers of fracking, which is a, it's a process where um, it's to extract oil from shale, where uh, bizarrely, um, Poisons such as arsenic and other poisons are forced into the ground in order to make the oil come out of the shale so that this oil can be then sold and, you know, it's good for the economy, isn't it? So uh, it's kind of, when you just, if you just look at it, it's kind of logical, this is not a good thing to do. Let's just not do that. But still, it's happening. And fortunately in America, there's quite a, there's quite a lot of awareness and there's quite a lot of... Uh, protest and it's being banned. I think in New York State it's, it's banned now, which is a good thing. And then in the UK, I heard recently, it's being presented as this very good thing. You know, we need oil, here it is, this is a way of doing it, and with no mention of the consequences. So in doing that, you're putting poison into the earth and, you know, the, the, the water, the rain goes through that earth, it goes into the, 
into wells, springs, and and uh, into the water that we drink, into rivers. And so, crazily, we are poisoning ourselves in order to get oil out of the ground. It's, it's, it's really insane when you start to look at it. And that's what we're doing. And also with the air that we breathe, you know, for a long time we didn't understand, we didn't know that the you know, the automobile companies and so on were, were going to be poisoning the air. We did, we just The air is the air, it's, it's huge, it's limitless, it's vast, there's no problem. But you know, the combination of cutting down forests and, and producing more and more um, gases, carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, it's, it's now reaching a, po- a critical point where very soon we are going to be in very big trouble if we're not ready. So, you know, as we're breathing, you know, I think it's important not to be having the sense of like breathing in, toxic, you know, air, breathing out, may all beings be well. We don't want to do that because it makes us all sick. But, uh, you know, when I'm here, I, I'm very aware of the trees around us. As soon as I arrive at Spirit Rock, I smell the, the scent of the bay laurels. So just a sense of reciprocity with the environment that we're in. And then we, build a, we develop a sense of respect for the environment, for the trees, for, the, for, the, for nature, rather than it being something that we want to exploit. So the, the trees right now are giving us the oxygen we need to breathe. But if we cut all the trees down, we're in trouble. So it's, it's reconnecting, learning again our true interdependence, our immediate interdependence, interrelationship, responsiveness with nature. And if we can start to connect more deeply with that, then we're motivated, not just out of fear, but also out of love and respect to change our ways, not to just keep on taking, using, discarding. At least not to do that unconsciously. Because when we're breathing, we're also taking in oxygen, we're using it, we're discarding what we don't need. But that is an act of nature, it's it's in relationship with other, other beings, you could say. So, so the breath, as we, as we pay attention to the breath, all of this, this is all here, it's all, all that, that whole teaching is here in the breath, it's all here, if we pay attention in the right way. And uh, anyone who's a smoker, you know, it's, a, it's a good thing to reflect on. I used to smoke for many years, a number of years. And I remember somebody stopping, a born-again Christian, <laughs> stopping me once in the street and saying, this is wrong, you know, you shouldn't be smoking, I was probably a teenager, and uh, you're harming your body, you shouldn't smoke, and I was like, well, it's my body, I can do what I like, you know, thank you very much, but it's my body, I do what I like. And, uh, but then, you know, it is, one is polluting one's own body, but then you're also sharing it with everybody else, you know. (laughs) So, when I started to meditate, then it became a bit of a challenge. You know, how can I meditate on the breath and wishing myself well with the breath and wishing all beings well with the out-breath and then I'm smoking, killing myself slowly, <laughs> polluting all beings, you know, they, they just don't go together. <laughs> so then you, you know, reflect, because, there's, because you're paying attention to what's actually going on, then you start to reflect a bit more deeply, oh, you know, this isn't really fitting together, this isn't going to work. 
And even though it gives me pleasure in some way, or it relieves stress in some way, it's, it's actually a short-term relief. And what I really want is like long-term solutions, both internally and externally. So I'd just like to really encourage you and invite you to get to know this breath that is with you every moment. Get to know it intimately. And, uh, you know, when we think in a, in a half-hearted way, it's like, oh yeah, the breath, you know, it's the same every time, just another in-breath, another out-breath, so what, you know. That's when we're not really paying attention, but when we really pay attention, each breath is unique. It is our life-giving breath in this moment. There is no other, there never has been, and there never will be another breath like this one. <laughs> so to meet the breath in that way, in, in a, an immediate, interested, curious, explorative way, so that it can teach us. So I'd like to offer that this morning. Sean, do you have some announcements? Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.